Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Lorenzo Moroni. Uh, he's a professor of biofabrication at Maastricht University in Holland. So, Lorenzo, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming. So, tell me about um, your your work, your research. How did you get interested in it, and what does the research look like today? Sure. Um, well, our research actually here at Maastricht University focuses around uh, biofabrication, and uh, we try to apply uh, this interdisciplinary field uh, um, towards uh, regenerative medicine applications or towards the creation of um, biological models that can be used um, to test uh, uh, new treatments or new drugs uh, and, and uh, understand um, possible pathological uh, uh, mechanisms behind certain diseases uh, in uh, three dimensions. Um, Okay. And I'll explain a little bit later uh, why uh, three dimensions are more important than uh, two dimensions. Uh, I'm a biomedical engineer by training. Uh, I graduated, uh, uh, in fact, actually, I hold two master degrees in, uh, in uh, biomedical engineering at the uh, Polytechnic of Milan uh, University back uh, home in Italy, where I'm originally from, and uh, a second master in nanoscale uh, science and engineering from Chalmers University of Technology in Sweden. Uh, and have got my uh, PhD degree at uh, Twente University, uh, also in uh, the Netherlands, um, uh, on uh, biomaterials and um, additive manufacturing technologies, or in general, scaffold fabrication technologies for um, tissue engineering and regenerative medicine applications. And so thereafter, sure. uh, my PhD, I, I have got a postdoc uh, training uh, in the U.S., um, on uh, again uh, biomaterials, uh, more specifically hydrogels and and stem cells, um, which I then applied in a in a second uh, postdoctoral position uh, back in Italy in uh, into a more clinical setting where we were looking at uh, expanding uh, um, the activities of a of a tissue factory into a cell factory as well. And I started my group. Um, back in the Netherlands in 2009, uh, first in Twente University, and then uh, since now four years um, in Maastricht University, where we created a new institute called Merlin, uh, which is based in, uh, in, in, uh, on technology um, for regenerative medicine applications. All right, so for listeners that don't understand how drugs have to be tested right now, what's the process? What does it look like? To test the drug, I know we can test stuff on rats and in people. You have to go through, you know, phase one, two, three trials. But how is this different? What do your methods look like? Sure. Uh, yeah. The the the, uh, the main uh, difference is that many of the current drugs or many of the current treatments are uh, independent from whether they are uh, drug treatments or or cell therapies, uh, which are uh, one of the regenerative medicine uh, um, possible uh, therapies. Um, is that typically you uh, would test this on, on cells, which are 
cultured on uh, um, two-dimensional substrates, um, which are really quite different from who and how we are, right? So we, 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 we are not flat uh, uh, entities, but we are really three-dimensional in our bodies. And we are much more complex than, therefore, a two-dimensional substrate, which is typically just a relatively stiff uh, piece of uh, plastic, of common plastic. Uh, yet this actually has been uh, um, translated into several different uh, um, routines where, where indeed the either uh, chemical compounds as possible new drugs or uh, other kind of uh, cellular therapies have been uh, tested uh, uh, in terms of efficacy and efficiency and potency. Um, what actually biofabrication can uh, in particular offer to um, to this kind of, uh, of field is the recreation of a more physiological three-dimensional environment where, um, which actually resembles a bit better, uh, actually I would say considerably better, um, the physiological environment of a targeted tissue or organ in, in our body where essentially we are targeting our uh, uh, new treatment. Um, and so in, in this case, actually, um, biofabrication actually adds on top of already other existing 3D cell culture models uh, by really um, controlling exquisitely the spatial and temporal uh, deposition of cells and proteins in recreating such a 3D in vitro model, uh, which is showing uh, these days to uh, to indeed get uh, to a more stringent uh, selection of new therapies and drugs that have been tested in these uh, uh, models. And that will be on, on the, on the let's say, more uh, 3D in vitro model um, side of the of the applications of biofabrication, but also these kind of three-dimensional uh, uh, constructs can uh, can be used uh, for regenerative medicine purpose. So where a patient essentially would have uh, a certain condition for which a tissue cannot heal by itself, uh, we could be um, providing a solution uh, by biofabrication technologies. Uh, uh, as a sort of biological replacement uh, of, of that uh, tissue um, in order not only to replace, but really to restore and, and heal the, the original tissue uh, which has been uh, damaged or diseased. Well, why are three-dimensional models? I mean, right now stuff happens, what, more in a Petri dish, and it's essentially a two-dimensional you know, surface yeah. of cells that gets acted upon? Right. So, so the 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 uh, still the current industrial flow would be that uh, certain uh, compound or certain cellular treatment would be uh, tested first in uh, two-dimensional cell culture systems. From there, you would have a sort of um, promising candidate or positive hit that would be uh, translated into directly into animal models. And um, this translation actually is relatively sudden, uh, going from a very um, physiological environment, as explained before, that would be the two-dimensional culture, um, into a preclinical animal model, which is currently what um, uh, is required before actually starting a clinical trial. And so with three-dimensional uh, models, we would um, really hope to, um, to get actually much more consistent correlation between what is really a positive hit in terms of a new therapy or new drug uh, and uh, the actual efficacy, not only in an animal model, but also in the clinical trials thereafter. Well, again, why? Does, uh, what happens when you have a 3D migration of a, of a drug through a system versus 2D? What are some specific reasons why it's different? 
um, so a 3D model essentially will be able to uh, recreate a, a more closely the, the kind of organization uh, of cells and proteins in, as as it happens in a in a native environment, so in a, inside our body. Um, you know, for example, consider if you would have a three-dimensional model of a cardiac muscle and you would be uh, interested to uh, find a new um, drug or a new cellular therapy uh, that could improve, for example, an infarcted uh, heart condition. Uh, with a three-dimensional model, you would have a much better representation of the cardiac muscle than having just cardiac cells uh, being uh, um, adhered into a flat um, two-dimensional petri dish. And so what are some of the things, the uh, different behaviors you're seeing in 3D models? Anything that surprised you? Well, uh, we, uh, we, uh, we are looking at different kind of applications. We have actually a relatively long history on uh, uh, skeletal applications, um, where the idea there is uh, to, get, to regain not only the tissue um, physiology, but also the tissue mechanical functionality, uh, uh, being uh, uh, tissues that in our body are also responsible for uh, bearing loads. Um, and then actually in that respect, we have been able to translate from uh, fundamental steps to the clinic's uh, um, a treatment for articular cartilage uh, through actually the use of uh, additive manufacturing technologies that nowadays are also more popularly called under the name of 3D printing. Although I have to be a bit of an advocate of terminology, 3D printing is uh, erroneously um, used for the full additive manufacturing uh, uh, platform of technologies, whereas instead it's just one of those technologies that has been invented in U.S. Day, uh, in the 80s. Um, nonetheless, I mean, with, with uh, uh, an additive manufacturing technologies, we have been able to create a scaffold which uh, actually has mechanical performance similar to those of uh, articular cartilage, which is the cartilage tissue that we have at the surface of our joints. And uh, combining these scaffolds with a specific uh, cell preparation cons uh, comprising both cartilage cells and uh, adult stem cells, uh, we have actually shown uh, um, a, a restoration and, uh, of both the biological as well as the mechanical function of uh, articular cartilage. Nowadays, we are also focusing uh, uh, a bit more towards um, uh, softer tissues, uh, encompassing uh, uh, neural and vascular tissues, uh, both with the idea of creating uh, solutions for, uh, uh, for example, people that have uh, got a neural uh, um, problem due to, for example, traumatic accident uh, uh, in their peripheral uh, arms or, or limbs as well as vascular grafts uh, for people with cardiovascular uh, uh, complications where uh, a part of their vessels uh, would uh, would be replaced. Well, how do you make these 3D scaffoldings? I've heard that, um, you know, the hardest part is the vascularization. If tissue is uh, not close enough to a blood supply, it dies. And from what I've heard, you know, yeah. again, I'm not in the industry, but that's like the most difficult thing. So how do you accomplish that and make yeah. a true 3D model? Yeah, that's uh, indeed uh, correct. That's a good question. Uh, vascularization, especially for uh, maintaining large uh, segments of engineered tissues, is uh, is crucial. Uh, so typically, we make uh, our tissues by uh, two modalities. Either we make a scaffold that has um, smart surface properties, where the smartness comes uh, from uh, um, essentially 
better communication uh, at the interface itself or with the hierarchical properties. So uh, in this case, we actually changed the structural organization of uh, um, the material comprising the scaffolds uh, so to resemble better the organization of uh, proteins in our tissues. So that would be one of the strategies we follow, the second being actually that of uh, conventional bioprinting where uh, we uh, incorporate uh, ourselves of interest inside a hydrogel uh, that essentially works as a carrier, uh, and then uh, this, this uh, cell hydrogel uh, um, composition would be um, printed actually uh, into a specific uh, construct of, of our interest. In uh, both cases, actually, we uh, use uh, two ways to uh, try to uh, enhance the vascularization of such constructs. Either we use the macroporosity that we can create by additive manufacturing technologies um, and essentially use that as a sort of pipe, piping uh, line uh, of our tissue, or uh, we actually can add uh, into the tissue uh, specific cells of uh, vessels, which are called endothelial cells, and try to design uh, uh, the constructs in such a way that uh, these endothelial cells can organize themselves uh, and form uh, um, the vessels. What are some of the limitations right now? What's the max thickness of a tissue or max complication of structure you've been able to do so far? And will this lead us to be able to, you know, 3D print organs or grow organs, or are we still far away from that? Yeah, that's a good question as well, because uh, there is a lot of uh, attention on uh, organ bioprinting, and uh, and I think it will be possible, but uh, it, we are still very far away from uh, uh, really seeing today a, a bioprinted organ. Uh, the limitation in terms of, of uh, let's say, vascularization, uh, we are now uh, able to fairly well reproduce uh, capillaries or microcapillaries uh, through uh, the culture of endothelial cells. We are doing a decent job, actually, in the last couple of years, there have been a number of uh, studies uh, showing uh, that through templating technology, we can uh, uh, create those micro um, vessels. Uh, that could be used as a sort of pipeline uh, or piping line, as, as I said earlier, um, to, to provide really more nutrients uh, throughout the construct. Uh, we need to connect these to uh, micro and macro uh, networks in, in together. And we need then ultimately to connect uh, uh, such a multi-scale uh, vascularized system to the host uh, vasculature when we implant uh, the uh, the, the biofabricated construct. Uh, so I think these are the two main challenges for uh, for the future in general in terms of vascularization. Now, if that would be the only thing that is needed for organ bioprinting, that yeah, the answer is really no. I mean, that that, that, will, that will that will make uh, the picture much more complicated than uh, than just uh, you know organizing very well the vasculature. In, in terms of organ bioprinting, you know, the, the, the possibilities they are definitely there. The technology, I think, uh, would be able to uh, would be capable to create uh, such a complex uh, structure. But we need to understand much better the biology of such a multicellular and multi-tissue biological system. And uh, and and once we will be able to do that, then use the bioprinting technology to um, better replicate again uh, the. Uh, native organization of cells and, and proteins in, in those organs. So this goes beyond uh, only uh, 
uh, vascularization, of course, vascularization should be there. Innervation should be definitely there. Uh, a, a system that, uh, that is called the lymphatic system in our body that is uh, responsible for removing uh, the waste uh, uh, that is being produced by, by actually cells uh, should be in place. And then depending on the organ, uh, uh, we really need to understand uh, uh, the multicellular uh, complexity of that organ. And just to give you an example, uh, if you would be uh, wanting to, to bioprint a kidney, a kidney has more than 20 specialized uh, different cells that uh, are comprising the, the organ. And, and each of these cells has a specific function uh, that, he, you know, in an orchestra is then uh, um, responsible for the full functionality of the kidney in terms of uh, filtrating uh, our uh, our blood, so that would mean uh, the set of next challenges uh, to really move from uh, uh, small bioprinted tissues that is currently what is the current state of the art to large macroscopically multi-tissue organ uh, type of constructs. We will have at least two decades before we should be able to make it. I think. So how long do you think it's really going to take two decades before we're able to print organs? I mean, any organ or, you know, I've heard some of the organs may be simple, simpler, like um, uh, the bladder or maybe the throat because the tissue is smooth and some of the more complicated ones, right, is the kidneys and maybe the thyroid is easier. Is there a, a hierarchy or hierarchy of, of organs that you think may be printed sooner? Uh, yeah, I think uh, that, that, that of course. Uh, for sure, the, 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 the simplest organs uh, will uh, will probably come earlier. I mean, that will also depend a little bit on uh, the clinical needs and uh, and uh, uh, for which and, and actually the lack of possible other solutions. Now, a bladder actually, if, uh, it's still I, I still personally consider it uh, a, a, a tissue and not an organ, and that actually has already been uh, engineered. Uh, there has been uh, some wonderful work uh, from. Uh, a group uh, in uh, the United States at Wake Forest, uh, um, where actually that has, has already been implanted also in, uh, in patients. Uh, when I'm talking about organ bioprinting, I really think about relatively complex uh, structures, such as, the, and as I said, multicellular structures, such as uh, kidney, pancreas, heart, and indeed glands, such as a thyroid. Uh, you know, to, to really get uh, to a fully functional uh, kidney, if at all we will be able to get there, I think it will take another two decades. Today you see actually some uh, primordial or, or premature bioprinted uh, models of, of uh, a functional unit of a, of a kidney called a nephron. Uh, again, these are beautiful uh, uh, three-dimensional models to test in a more efficient way drugs. For example, again, in the, in the case of kidney drugs for uh, chronic kidney diseases. Uh, and I think this will be still equivalently important as a step uh, uh, towards that larger uh, moonshot goal of uh, bioprinting a kidney, where the models actually will uh, allow us to, uh, first of all, deliver more efficient drugs for a uh, subset of uh, kidney diseases, uh, but also will uh, will be uh, enabling us to better understand, again, as I said, the biology of functional units that are uh, composing uh, the, the largest full kidney organ. In the yeah, what, what's heart, the max number, of, um, max number of cells that You've been able to create a 3D structure out of. Is it is it not just the um, the complexity, but is it also the the number of different cells, or is it both the the unique geometries, the, the fine details, and the number of cells? Right. You have mentioned at the moment uh, in your last question is did uh, uh, has indeed any important role.
cells. So it's the, it's the number of different cells that are composing a specific organ. It's also the organization of the uh, proteins, the extracellular matrix, as it's called, uh, which is being secreted by these uh, cells, um, and how this protein is organized in uh, space, and how actually these proteins are also uh, synthesized at different time of uh, organ development by different cells. And uh, indeed, uh, last but not least, is also the, the resolution, so the, the uh, way and the, the, the precision with which uh, you can actually deposit in, uh, in uh, space in a specific geometrical configuration that should be possibly as close as possible to the native configuration, uh, cells and proteins uh, uh, in, in space, let's say. So I guess the, the most difficult organ is what, the kidney? Or are there other organs that are just as hard? Uh, the most difficult organ, I would say, is definitely, uh, I'm not sure if the kidney is the most uh, difficult, but it's definitely one of the most difficult uh, organs uh, to be bioprinted. In the case of pancreas, I think there has been very little work uh, which has been uh, aimed mostly at uh, delivering in a, in a smart manner uh, islets of Langerhans, which are, which are uh, multicellular bodies uh, that are responsible for the secretion of insulin uh, uh, in, in response of different uh, glucose regimes. Uh, so essentially those uh, islets are responsible for uh, uh, actually the correct regulation of sugars in our, in our body. Um, and that's actually important for, for example, uh, providing a, a, a possible solution to diabetes. The, uh, the biofabrication, the bioprinting of a full pancreas would also be quite uh, complex and challenging, uh, as in fact, as a full uh, uh, organ, uh, uh, the pancreas actually has also a number of different cells which are complete, uh, have a completely different uh, function and purpose in terms of regulating um, a number of biological activities in our body. So I think that would also be quite a challenging organ uh, together with kidney in terms of full organ bioprinting. Well, very good. So, what's the best way for um, for people to find out more about your research and you know maybe get in touch with you for collaboration or interest? So they, they can get uh, the profile of the group at uh, we have a website at www.moronilab.org. Um, in this website, actually, they can see the main research lines that we are uh, active on um, and some of the work that we have been publishing uh, uh, along uh, these years. Um, or at the University of Maastricht uh, through the Merlin uh, Institute website, uh, where, again, uh, they can find uh, my contact information. Okay, very good. Well, Lorenzo, thank you for uh, for coming on the podcast, and I hope that uh, your work advances to the point where we can, you know, replace our organs if needs be. So thank you for your work. Thank you, Rich, for the time, and, yeah, that's, that's what we are uh, working hard for. So let's hope uh, we need to find uh, ways to deliver some solutions to uh, our society. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.